You're listening to media from University Lutheran Church and Student Center. We are a multi-generational, Jesus-centered community of Scripture, faith, and grace located in Tallahassee, Florida, on the campus of Florida State University. To learn more and to get connected to other resources, please visit universitylutheranchurch.org. We hope that the next few moments are a time when God speaks into your life by the power of His Holy Spirit about His Son, Jesus Christ. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Three in One who comes in order to bring us something that was not going according to our plan. Dear brothers and sisters in Christ, how are your plans going? That can be kind of a dangerous thing to ask sometimes because sometimes our plans, well, they're not going that well. Sometimes our plans are things that, uh, that things that, well, we don't really feel all that comfortable talking about. In fact, many of us probably have some plans that are, uh, if we think about it, we think, oh, I should be a lot farther along with that by now. Uh, or maybe there are things that you thought that you would just be doing sort of naturally. Maybe it was one of those Lenten fast things where you said, well, I'm, I'm just going to be able to get to a point here now now where uh, I'm going to, uh, at the fifth Sunday of Lent, I'll be able to just kind of not even think about that thing that I gave up for Lent. And maybe uh, you have actually not thought instead about that you once upon a time said that you were giving something up for Lent. Maybe you've just failed that often Maybe it has been something that you thought, well, I thought that I would be a lot closer to my goal by now. I thought that things would go my way. I thought that many of these different things would have gone the way that I expected them to go way back when, but now my plans are in ruins. We as human beings, we seem like we, we can't help but plan. Planning is just sort of a natural part of what we do. It's a good thing, in fact, that we do, but so often we find that our plans end up going awry. We find out that our plans just don't turn out. Well, so far, at least one of the things that I have planned has been going okay. And that is that we've been doing this sermon series called Measuring Up. And in this sermon series, I've been using this ancient prayer form called the Collect Form that if you have listened to all of our sermons through Lent, you have been, well, probably sick of by now. And, uh, and yet we're at that point where today is the last day where we get to say, okay, well, we're going to go according to this ancient prayer structure, this structure of the collect form that starts off with our addressing God, our saying, God, this is who you are. We're going to say this is your attribute. And then after that, we get into the second part, which is the rationale, why we say God is that attribute. And then after that, we ask God for something 
something, we say, hey, God, I've got this request of you. I've got this petition. And, uh, and so uh, when we get into that, then we, we ask for that thing. And then we don't only ask for that thing, but rather we follow it up with an aspiration. We follow it up by saying, well, God, this is why that thing would be good in your kingdom. This is why that thing is something that you would be interested in answering. And then after we do the aspiration, then we wrap it all together with the conclusion, which is always having to do with the mediation of Christ. It's always having to do with bringing things back around to Jesus holding all of this stuff together. And like I said, so far we've been doing pretty good with that. And then we stumbled into these readings, and uh, the past few readings we've been able to do the address in sort of a quick fashion, and we've been able to find a word, uh, whether that is you know, God's fairness or, or God's compassion or something else. But today, oh, today it just doesn't work real well. Today, as we look at these readings, there's not just one word that kind of fits there. If there is a word, it's a word that maybe we don't want to call God. And the word is his unpredictability. That starts off in, in this reading from Isaiah where God says, Behold, I'm doing a new thing. To which we probably go, No, God. We don't want a new thing. We don't want you to be sort of unpredictable. We don't want you to do something new. We want you to be reliable. We want you to be there doing the thing that we want you to do reliably so that we can go to you and we can get exactly what we're expecting. And yet, in all of these readings, there seems to be something of a surprise. There's a surprise that comes up and so we, we're coming to a God and we're addressing this God, this God of surprise, this God of unpredictability, and, and we're, we're going to him and we're saying, you are this kind of a God. We can't say that you are not this kind of a God. We can maybe say that we don't want you to be that kind of a God. We maybe can say that we want you to be a little bit less surprising, but God can come back at us with that and say, but I am. I sent my only son to die on a cross for you. If that's not surprising, I don't know what is. And so God is unpredictable and God is surprising. And we see those things throughout these readings. And that's where this rationale comes in. So we say, God, you, you are this unpredictable God. And we see that God is unpredictable in his own words, saying, I'm doing a new thing. Now, the understanding of that Isaiah verse, as you dig into it, which isn't there on the surface level, is that God is telling the people of Israel that he is doing something different than what he did when he drowned Pharaoh and all of his Egyptian army in the Red Sea. That's what he's referring to with all of the water stuff at the beginning of that passage. All of the water stuff at the beginning of that passage, God is saying, hey, I did all of that, but behold, I'm doing something new. 
And he's speaking that to the people who are in Jerusalem who need to know that there is going to be another rescue that God is making of his people. That God is going to come in and he's going to rescue them and it's not going to be like before. It's going to be something new. It's going to be something unpredictable. It's going to be something that they haven't seen before. And then we get to this gospel reading. This gospel reading that's sort of filled with aha moments and surprises. This gospel reading that even as we read through it, we kind of scratch our heads and we go, well, I don't know that that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, you kind of wonder what Jesus is doing. And normally speaking, Jesus' parables, well, they go kind of logically through things. But this one, well, there's a lot of things that don't seem to be logical and normal. It starts off that way. It starts off with a fairly normal scene from the time period. So there's a master, and he, he buys a vineyard. Now, uh, when somebody buys a vineyard during that time, when you purchase it, according to the laws of Israel, you cannot take any of the fruit from that vineyard until at least five years after you have purchased it. Part of the reason for that is agricultural. Part of the reason for that is religious. Part of the reason for it is that, normally speaking, when you plant a new vineyard, you cannot harvest any grapes from that vineyard for a number of years. But then on top of that, you also have a requirement that the very first year that your vineyard sprouts growth that is actually usable, you have to give all of that to the temple. You have to make a sacrifice and all of it has to go. And so normally speaking, what you would have had is you would have had a landowner who knew what they were getting into and they said, okay, I'm going to buy this thing and then I'm going to lease it out to tenants. I'm going to lease it out to farmers, which by the way, the Greek word there is Georgios, Georgians. He gives the farm to people from Georgia. I thought it was good. And so you, you have this, this moment, this moment where, where he leases this out to these tenants, and then things start to get weird. Because normally speaking then, the time for him to come and to get some of the proceeds from that vineyard would have gone very simply. He would have sent one of his people. One of his people would have gone. He would have said, hey, bud, the rent is due. They would have said, here you go. This is your cut of what we made. They would have been able to keep the rest of it. And that is how that transaction would have worked. However, we find out, dun, 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 that he sends that guy and they take him out and they beat him and they throw him outside of the vineyard. You go, ooh, well, that's a surprise. That didn't go the way that it's supposed to. So maybe I'll... Maybe, maybe it was that guy's fault. Maybe he said something that he shouldn't have. I'll send a second one. So he sends the second servant to go and to try to get what he is owed. And the second servant, same thing happens to him. In fact, a little bit worse. And amazingly, he sends even a third servant who the same thing happens to. And then the master is perplexed. 
And the master is perplexed, and he says, well, what am I supposed to do? And then he comes up with this crazy idea. So, so far, what we know is that these Georgians, these people, these tenants have so far taken every person that he has sent to them, and they have beaten them and thrown them out of the vineyard. And he goes, well, I know. I'll send my boy. I'll send my son, the heir, to go and to meet with these guys. And the master seems to think, okay, well, the problem then was that they just, they, they didn't respect the others. They didn't respect the others that I sent to them, so I'm going to send them somebody that they will respect. And do they respect him? Not at all. In fact, they go and they kill the son because they have this plan, this plan that they've cooked up inside of their heads. Now, this plan actually has a reasonable idea behind it. The reasonable idea behind it is that if you own a vineyard in Israel and you don't go to visit it for seven years, that vineyard, that piece of property that you do not visit for seven years automatically goes to the tenants that you have given to work it. And so what they're thinking is, well, we've killed servant one, two, and three, and now here comes the son. You know what? If we make a statement here, if we kill the son, then that master, he's never going to come back, and this field is going to be ours. And sure enough, they go and they start to execute on that plan, that wicked plan that they have in order to get this vineyard. And to that, Jesus says something that surprises them. Jesus says, and what's going to happen? Well, Jesus, before they even have an opportunity to respond, Jesus says, what's going to happen is that that master, that landowner, is going to send in people that are going to go and are going to destroy those wicked tenants. He's going to send in assassins. He's going to find some guys on the shady part of town, and they're going to go in there, and they're going to make sure that things turn out the way that they're supposed to turn out. And the people respond, surely not. And you may be wondering, well, why? Because to us, that seems just in a way. It seems like there's some justice there. But the people that are there say, I hope not. And the reason for that is that the people think that, well, that master taking matters into his own hands is just simply vigilantism. And if this was happening during Jesus' time, that would have brought the wrath of Rome down on that landowner for taking things into his own hands. It wasn't going according to the right channels. And Jesus says to them, 
You think that's surprising? Guess what? I'm the cornerstone. You are going to be coming up against me. And you think that you are going to win when you come up against me. But the thing is that when you come up against the cornerstone, that those who fall on the cornerstone are shattered by it, and those on whom the cornerstone falls are crushed by it. It's a surprising statement because Jesus here is basically picking a fight with the religious leaders of his time. He's saying that this is going to be something surprising. This is going to be something unpredictable. This is going to be something that they didn't see coming. And the thing that they didn't see coming is that all of their plans, all of their religious righteousness, all of their plans that they used to try to gain the vineyard of this powerful institution of religion in Jerusalem at the time. All of those plans are going to meet their end in Jesus. So that's the rationale. But what do we ask of an unpredictable God? If part three is our moment to ask God for something, what do we ask him for? And I think it's that we ask God that our plans don't get in his way. Because you see, the beauty that shows up in each and every one of these passages is that God brings about his surprise to people. And as a result of that, everybody else benefits. If you look back into that Isaiah reading, even the wild beasts in the field, they are benefited by the fact that Israel is being brought back into this desert wasteland that is now filling up with water. If you read the gospel reading, the people that benefit from the wicked servants are the ones to whom the master gives the field to that weren't initially a part of this. And that is what Jesus is talking about in this moment. That what he is going to do is he is going to break this thing open that his being a cornerstone is going to shatter the narrow perspective of who can be in his kingdom and to break that open into all of these people that need it. And how often have we been guilty of making God's kingdom so narrow? that other people couldn't fit in. How often have we needed Jesus to break in to our world and to shatter our plans and to say that it's everybody. 
everybody who's repentant, everybody who can have faith in Christ, everyone who can declare his name, that all of those people are brought in, not just the Pauls of this world, not just the people that have this great resume like Paul was listing out in Philippians, but everyone who will call upon the name of Jesus and call him Lord. And that is our aspiration. That's the fourth part. Our aspiration is that our plans would not limit who we told people, who we told was in the kingdom of God, but rather that God's own son would declare that all people, no matter of their race, no matter of their background, no matter of their sins, no matter of so many things that God himself shatters our tiny plans and says they too are in the kingdom. They too can have forgiveness. They too can be included in this beautiful resurrection that we are promised. That's our aspiration. But that aspiration only happens through the conclusion. It only happens through the mediation of Christ. It only happens through when Jesus comes and he says that it's not about our plans, but it's about his. And his plan is going to unfold over the next few weeks as we walk through the story of Holy Week. As we walk through the end of this gospel reading and we see that the people that he was talking to begin to do exactly what he outed them doing, which is to make plans in order to kill him to make plans in order to bring him to a cross, to make plans that they think are going to go their way, but that plan goes his way. That plan of going to the cross doesn't go in the way that the Pharisees and the scribes are expecting it to go. That cross, that plan of the cross doesn't go the way that Satan is planning it to go. That cross goes in the way that Christ himself plans it to go. And it ends in this utterly surprising and unpredictable moment on Easter Sunday when he comes out and he shows that even the plan of the tomb has been shattered by this unpredictable God. May you go out this week making plans because you have to. But may you also recognize that you have an unpredictable God who shatters all plans by the gift of His Son who has saved you by his unpredictable sacrifice on the cross. Amen. 
Thank you for listening to this media from University Lutheran Church and Student Center. To learn more and to get connected to other resources, please visit universitylutheranchurch.org. If you would like to financially support more media from University Lutheran, please visit our website and click the Give Now button, which will enable you to engage in the Christian discipline of giving tithes and offerings to God through His Church. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord lift up His face upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord look upon you with favor and give you peace. Well,